Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where Catholic truth is served fresh daily. We've made you a reservation in the luxurious corner booth, so come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, and I'm sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. Just want to make sure I was actually sitting here. Uh, and I am, and uh, to confirm that is my sidekick, Tom Dorian. And I will confirm, you are sitting. I am sitting here yes. in the luxurious corner booth. We are sitting. We are luxurious. sitting. And so uh, it's nice to know that uh, Tom is here, and uh, and Deacon Jeff is here. Yes, sir. And, and I said, bring up, I bring up the title, Deacon. Uh oh. No. Well played. Nice segue, right? Perfect. Right. I need to get one of those segues. By the way, the little wheelie things that you can go down steps on. <laughs> yeah. But that's a bad segue. Yeah. The good segue is we're talking about deacons, and, and uh, I, I, I thought maybe we'd do a show about this because a lot of people, you know, we go to Mass sometimes, and maybe things escape our attention. Right. Right. Whether it, we've talked in, in, in this very luxurious corner booth, we've talked about the fact that people will go to Mass and maybe they don't listen to the readings or they just kind of uh, drift. Days, they drift when the homily's going on, or maybe they don't pay attention to to who's up there and, and what's going on and exactly what's taking place. And that's not a good thing to do anyway. Nope. So we should pay more attention. But I wonder sometimes if people look up there and see Father. There's Father. I see Father. But who's that guy next to him? Yeah. A lot of people don't always realize. What is he doing? Yeah. What? Why is he there? And yeah. why is he holding that why chalice Why do up? that? Exactly. Why is he getting on his knees now? Yeah, exactly. What's the deal? Why isn't the priest doing that? Right? So why, how are they exactly. different? Now, I'm not going to talk about the role of the deacon. But I just I want us to know. Notice something. Some of us have not really noticed that there seem to be a lot of deacons. And I don't know if you recognize that or not. I don't know. You can't not notice that, right? Well, now. there's in this day and age, it's really interesting. The, uh, um, the some rate, latest research tells us we have about twenty thousand permanent deacons in the United States alone. Okay, that's a lot of deacons. It is a lot of deacons. In fact, the diaconate is the fastest growing vocation right now. Really? Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of guys becoming deacons, and you you uh, someone can look at that and go, mm. why? Yeah, it's a great question. Because they're not getting paid. <laughs> I can tell you that <laughs> it's not for the money. I, why are there so many deacons? And that's the question I want to kind of endeavor to answer mm-hmm. today. Okay. So if you haven't noticed, if you if you haven't gone up to and you know, it, maybe we should have hug a deacon day where you go up and hug your deacon <laughs> at your parish. You know, ask that him. That would be your favorite <laughs> day, wouldn't it? I, I think it would. <laughs> Just to get a bunch of hugs. That'd be so wonderful. Anytime you see Deacon Jeff, make sure you give him a hug. Give him a big hug. Yeah, I need to get like a hug me Dalmatic or something. That'd be awesome. No, I think that'd be bad. I'm not going to do that. But I want to talk about because I have a theory. Uh oh. I I think it's pretty sound. You think? And I'm not saying it's official teaching of the church. So the EWTN censors now, the little red flag has gone (laughs) up, and there's a guy with his finger hovering over the heresy button, ready to push it at any moment. And I'm teasing. That's not. Hand on the other phone. The other hand on the other phone. No, I just, I have, uh, there's, I want to look at history a little bit and, and maybe help try to figure out why there are so many deacons right now in this day and age in this world that we live in. Man, this is going to be profound. Now, to do this, we got to go. We're going to have like the. I want to tell four little stories or four little points that we have to sort of add up together to see. You gonna have enough time to do that? Yeah, we'll do it. We're All gonna right, we're gonna up. make it happen. I'll shut up. No, it's okay. Uh, so these four things may seem to be disconnected, but they but they are really connected. Okay. So the first thing is we've had a show on this, and look it up uh, on iTunes or go to the website uh, thecatholiccafe.com, and you will find uh, this show. Uh, 
just go, uh, or do the search in the search field on our listen page, mm-hmm. salvation or family. But salvation is born of the family. So there's right. this concept. Right, we've done a show on it, but I want to. I want just want to. It's a little um, synopsis. Little synopsis of that. Little short take on it, and that is that God revealed Himself as a family of persons. Right, the very yeah. very first revelation of God is as a Trinity. Three persons in one God. Right, one nature, one God, three persons, three distinct persons, and so in within the nature of God is a family. The concept of family. Yeah. Right. This is important. It's a great mystery. Mm-hmm. How all the relationship and all that. Uh, fully this, fully that, uh, fully distinct but fully together, and all these things. This is, it is a great, the greatest Christian mystery our church teaches. But essentially, it's important to understand the concept of family, and God right. revealed Himself as a family of persons. So we have that. But then, immediately after God has created the earth and created man and made man uh, the crown of His creation, and gave Him dominion over the earth, He gives Him Eve. Right, so family. Right, he builds a family right off the bat. It's like Adam, you are no good alone, son. You're going to need some help, mm-hmm. and so he gives him a helpmate, and that is Eve. So the family uh, is important, and God says, without a family, Adam is not complete. Right, so this family of persons, the first thing he does with humankind is to start a family. Right, right, and of course Adam knew Eve, and then I'll, the and the rest is history. Okay, so we have that taking place, and then let's fast forward all the way to the time of Jesus Christ and his birth. Mm -hmm. Now, arguably, St. Joseph was not necessary to the equation biologically. Mm -hmm. right? You can look at that and say, well, this is not Joseph's child. Joseph is Jesus' stepfather. Mm -hmm. Joseph knew that, and Joseph was getting ready to leave when an angel comes in a dream and says, Joseph... They Do put. not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And so it was God's desire that Joseph maintain his role as stepfather to be there, to be this model holy family, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Right? So, again, Jesus is born in the context of a family. Mm-hmm. And God deemed this important enough that he would make Joseph stay in that, as the, in that stepfather role. And so we see this family, how important family is to God Mm -hmm. in his revelation to us and his wish that we all be saved. And so Jesus, our Savior, the new and everlasting covenant, is born in the context of family. And so you can say that salvation is born of the family. Okay. Right? And so that's point number one. It's important to understand that we are saved through family, through the context of family, through Jesus Christ in the context of family with a family of persons in the Trinity. So understanding all of that, point number two. Gotcha. Family is being attacked right now. I would agree with family that. Family is being more profoundly attacked, I think, than it's ever been attacked. And you can you can look at things like the pornography, the contraception, abortion, cohabitation, um, certainly things like attacks on traditional marriage and what marriage actually is, people who aren't getting married, et cetera, et cetera. And, and the reality is you can see that this is essentially attacking the family, mm-hmm. right? And so if you understand that, um, like, if a general was attacking someone, mm-hmm. all right, their enemy... That general would launch all his munitions, you know, into the center to cause the greatest damage uh, to whoever the, the the enemy is. Right? They would go to their core, to the heart of of who and what they were, and try to blow up the, their mo- their their most uh, prominent, powerful power center or whatever. Right? To do the most damage. Well, if Satan wants you not to be with God for eternity, he's going to destroy that which is the most sacred and most um, potentially revealing of salvation, and that is the family. Right. Right? So if 
Satan is trying to destroy the family. And so things like these things I've mentioned, like pornography and contraception and abortion and things like that, cohabitation, those are, and also things like poverty are making it so hard for families to exist, to stay together, to be that strength, to be that bond, and so that they will be in the context and understand salvation and to be safe and be led to Jesus Christ in the context of family. So that's point number two. Satan is attacking the family, okay. right? So point number one is salvation is born of the family. God revealed himself as family, and then uh, family is under attack is number two. Mm-hmm. Well, number three, this one's going to seem like it's totally unrelated, okay. but it's important for us to talk about. Number three is that if we, if we look at our church's history, mm-hmm. right, and we realize when the church was perhaps the greatest attack against the church or the greatest... Schism or the greatest time of, of uh, difficulty, challenge in the church was probably arguably the, Re- the Reformation, right? That's when mm-hmm. splintering happened to the degree that uh, a lot of people peeled off and a lot of churches were formed outside of the Catholic Church. Yep. I mean, I know there was a great schism in, uh, in the uh, 10th and 11th century mm-hmm. but, but between East and West, but there was still a Nothing harmony like there. The scale of the Nothing like the Reformation, what yeah. started uh, with, uh, with King Henry VIII, with Martin Luther, right. uh, Ulrich Zwingli, John Calvin, these guys, and, and, and what happened. I'm not calling them evil or bad or devils. What I am saying is it was a great challenge to the church, and it was really something that could potentially cause the destruction of the church, which God promised wouldn't happen. Right. But it, God didn't say how it wouldn't happen. In other words, how would the church stave off the destruction that comes from something so calamitous as people who would, who would leave the confines and the, the protection of the church, mm-hmm. right? And so at the time when the church had this great um, attack upon her or her, her sanctity and her wholeness, right, pulling, pulling her apart, mm-hmm. the church raised up saints, Okay. Right. So these saints, and, and arguably these the saints that the church raised up, Saint Robert Bellarmine, mm-hmm. Saint Charles Borromeo, Ignatius of Loyola, Thomas More, John Fisher, Pius V, Francis de Sales, Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross, Philip Neri, Jane Francis de Chantal, Vincent de Paul, Martin de Porres, Saint mm. Peter Canisius, Saint Joseph of Cupertino. I'm not done. Saint Peter Claver, Saint Aloysius Gonzaga, Saint John Baptist de La Salle, Saint Rose of Lima, Francis Xavier, Lawrence of Brandisi, Margaret Mary Alacoque, all these different saints, and there's more and more and more on this list. It's a hall of fame. They were all raised up at this time in these hundred fifty years or so around the Reformation. Why? Because Holy Mother Church says we we'll, we need an antidote to the poison. We need an antidote that's pulling people away, that's causing doubt and causing um, um, you know disparity and and discord within our our Catholic faith. Mm-hmm. So here come these saints, which usher in this Counter Reformation, mm-hmm. right? With arguably one of the most powerful. Uh, doctrinal times of the church to reinforce church teaching, the church's mercy, the church's love, but really um, her stance on the Eucharist and on the priesthood, uh, the seminary system revolutionized by uh, uh, St. Charles Borromeo or reformed in that way. All these things happen to build and strengthen the church Mm -hmm. at a very difficult time. And so we see when the church is under attack, the church raises up saints. Right, and that's that's powerful, and that's that third point. And it, again, it sounds like well, this is unrelated to what we've been talking about. Point number one was that salvation is born of the family. God revealed Himself as a family, right? And mm-hmm. and salvation is is comes in that context of family. And then second, the second point, the family's under attack, right? Right. And then the third point, 
when the church is under attack, the church raised up saints. Okay. Right? So those are three important points. So now this big fourth point, and this is the most important thing. Please stand by. Yeah, that's why we're going to take a pause. <laughs> <laughs> I always like to have like cliffhangers. This is a good yeah. cliffhanger. What is the it fourth is. point? What are, we, what are we trying to say in these three points? Well, we're going to tell you that right after we take a break. Before we do that, I want to remind you we have a great website, thecatholiccafe.com. Also, I would love to hear from you. Send me an email, deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. With that, we'll be right back. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. On October 7, 1571, the great naval battle of Lepanto was fought between the Ottoman Turks and an alliance of Catholic kingdoms assembled by Pope Pius V. This titanic sea battle, fought for the freedom of Christianity in Europe and the preservation of Western civilization, was entrusted to the patronage of our Blessed Mother through the intercession of Our Lady of Victory. The Ottoman Turks had been trying to dominate the Mediterranean Sea with their navy for many years. They slowly captured small Christian outposts and sold much of the population into slavery. The Ottoman armies were brutal and merciless. They sought to exterminate Christianity from all of Europe. After the Turks began the conquest of Cyprus, a small island in the Mediterranean Sea, all Christian Europe became alarmed. Pope Pius V recognized the threat from the Turkish forces and convinced the political rulers of the day to form an alliance that might defend the Christian people of Europe from the threat of the Ottoman Turks. Pius assembled the brave knights of Malta, the Kingdom of Spain, the Venetians, and several other Italian kingdoms into a naval force that was finally able to challenge Turkish naval dominance. The last knight of Christendom, Don Juan of Austria, led the Christian forces. On the day of the great battle of Lepanto, the Pope implored all of Christian Europe to seek the intercession of Our Lady of Victory through praying the rosary. As the Christian ships met the Ottoman host on the turbulent seas, Pius V led a rosary procession through St. Peter's Square in Rome. The entire endeavor was given over to the care of the Blessed Virgin Mary. The Pope was given a vision, which assured him that the Christian forces had prevailed. There was a great foreboding that the Christian forces were going to fail against the superior Turkish fleet, but through the Pope's faith and the intercession of Our Lady of Victory, the Christian fleet miraculously carried the day and drove the enemy ships out of Christian waters. The Turkish losses were so great that they were never able to recoup their strength as a mighty naval power. Pius V commemorated the Christian victory at Lepanto through the Blessed Mother's intercession by establishing the Feast of Our Lady of Victory. Pope Paul VI changed the name of the feast to Our Lady of the Rosary. This feast day is celebrated on October the 7th. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this has been another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And this is Deacon Jeff. I'm sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, sitting here with Tom Doring, and we we are talking about deacons. We are. We've got to get get to point number four. We're going to get to point number four, but first I want to remind people what we're talking about, because sometimes people come halfway in. I understand. You know, they're a little bit late. 
Sorry I'm late. Traffic is bad. There was a train at the crossing. <laughs> you know, we've all used that excuse. But even if you uh, have that excuse and you've missed that whole first part, you're going to have to hear this all again. I don't want to redo it all, but I do want to remind people, we're talking about uh, why are there so many deacons? We hear that question all the time. Why are there so many deacons? You know? And so uh, why? Yeah. Well, yeah. We, got, we have these four points that we have to cover, right. and we've done three of them. And the first point was... That uh, God revealed Himself. God revealed Himself as a family of persons, mm-hmm. uh, and family is important. And Jesus was born in the context of family, so salvation is born of the family. Mm-hmm. And point number two is the family's under attack. Right, right. So if you want salvation, and if you were someone who didn't want people to experience salvation, you would destroy the family. Right. Hence, the devil is trying to destroy the family, and all those things like pornography. We talk about that every once in a while. Contraception, abortion. Um, attacks on traditional marriage. All these things are, are meant to destroy the family. So salvation is born of the family. Family's under attack. And then that third point we just spent some time on, but the idea that when the church was under attack, she raised up saints, especially we see that at the uh, at the time of the Reformation, the counter, great counter-Reformation, all those saints that came in that time period are what the, the church raised up to say, hey, look, we do have to fix some things. Mm-hmm. So we, we want these things to be fixed, and here's, here's, here are the people to do it. We're raising up these saints. Right. So with those three things in mind, the connection here is mm-hmm. salvation born in the family, family's under attack, church raises up saints when she's under attack. Right now, what I think and what I propose, and we can, drum what, roll. what I postulate, what I put out there. We need a drum roll. Yeah, if only I had a drum roll. But let's just imagine there's a drum roll. Mm-hmm. And I would say that I think that right now, the church is raising up deacons. Now, I'm not saying we're all saints. I'm not saying that. Just you. But the church raises up the antidote. The, so the antidote to um, the Reformation were all these saints to help reform what needed to happen in the church, to bring spirituality uh, back where people, some people had forgotten some things. But then also just to reinforce church teaching, which had not changed, mm-hmm. right? And to bring the loving, merciful face of God to as many people as possible and not allow people to be pulled off or culled from the church, drawn into something that might not be the fullness of what God revealed. So the deacons show up, mm-hmm. and there are more and more and more deacons. And this happened, we're about to hit the 50th anniversary of the restoration of the permanent diaconate. So after the Second Vatican Council, we see this call for the restoration of the permanent diaconate, mm-hmm. which had been sort of invisible in the church for quite some time. There had always been the transitional deacons, but for, you know, Close to uh, a, a thousand years, nine hundred years, or whatever, there had not been permanent deacons, hmm. and so the church, in her wisdom, said, "We need permanent deacons." Now, not everybody would know, like, "Well, why?" Well, the Holy Spirit wants permanent deacons, mm-hmm. right? And some people might think, "Oh, the good thing about the deacon is is he can help Father," and he can, right? He right. can help Father carry that heavy chalice at the at the altar oh which i guess he can if that's the case if you have an old priest or whatever but that's not why the deacon's there mm-hmm. there are roles that the deacon has liturgically but also the deacon is uh configured to christ the servant and so so the deacon is there as we saw in the acts of the apostles in the sixth chapter when we start to see stephen and the other six deacons called uh to, to tend to the widows and the orphans while the the priest would be there to pray and to provide the sacraments. These deacons would there be there to be that sort of like bridge between uh, between the, the clergy and the laity. They would reach out to the laity and they would know the laity. That's why at Mass they do the 
the prayers of the faithful, right? That's why they're the ones that give instruction like let us kneel or let us stand uh, on Good Friday, things like that. So there is a, the, the, the deacon becomes that bridge, and that's what they were uh, called to do from the very beginning. But if you think about what a deacon is, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't realize, but research shows us that some uh, 93, uh, as of research from 2015, 93% of deacons are married, mm-hmm. right? And and four percent are their widower widowed right they're widowed right so their wife has died but they've been married so they're not currently married but they've been married and there are actually a couple of percentage points of of those who have been divorced but the point is deacons are very familiar with marriage mm-hmm. now if there are attacks on the family and you look at at the deacon who's now a member of clergy who is uh, someone who can be married. Before he's ordained. Now, he can't get married after he's ordained, but he can be married before he's ordained. And that's why we have so many married deacons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they tend to be, uh, the, the average age of the deacon in the United States is in the 60s, but uh, they can be as young as 35. But the point is, typically these deacons, they have a wife, they have kids, right? They have experience with, with college and kids in college. They have experience with mortgages, with car payments. Uh, with uh, problems with uh, uh, the cable service, they have pr- they have dogs. You know, they're family men. Yeah, so they've got a different angle versus versus the priests. So rather than say different, which okay. is it's, it's, I think it's true, but I would say a unique viewpoint. Okay, that's fair. So uh, they are uniquely positioned then to 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 preach, to teach, uh, to counsel in the context of a family. Right. And so if there are attacks on the family then what better way to counter those attacks or to to have those attacks be put at bay if you've got men who are in families who have been through theological formation and training, mm-hmm. which puts a lot of pressure on the church to make sure that's good theological formation and training. That's true. Right? It's not just guys who are meant to serve in soup kitchens, mm-hmm. which is a noble thing, mm-hmm. right? It needs to happen. But you don't have to be ordained to be... Uh, right. To be in a soup kitchen right. or to run a clothing ministry or to go to prisons and visit people. Mm-hmm. But you do have to be ordained to preach mm-hmm. and in some context to be that uh, clerical public witness to and for the family, to serve the families directly. Now, this does not mean that I'm I'm any way trying to take anything away from the priest. Because I want to be clear about this. A lot of people say, oh, you just want the deacons to take over. Mm-mm. It's like, no, I no. don't. If, if the deacons took over, the reality is we'd lose our Catholic church. Right. right? The, the, the priests, I mean, what do priests do, Tom? Well, they're there for the sacraments. Right. And they are so, in, we would not have a church if it was, wasn't for the priests. Oh, they're no. the ones in persona Christi. They're the ones that are actually being Christ to us in the confessional, uh, at the altar as they confect the Eucharist. Right. right? They're receiving people into the church. And their their witness, their public witness, and and really their their marriage to the church, right? The bride of Christ mm-hmm. is so is such a powerful and beautiful witness, and th- and so they can talk about those aspects. But interestingly, when there are problems with uh, uh, family matters, sometimes I know a couple times people have come to me specifically and say, and they will say, and sometimes wrongly, but they'll say, you know, I didn't want to go to father with this because I knew you'd be kind of know where I'm coming from. Right, And so it doesn't mean that the priest doesn't know that. It just means that we are like another access point. And in some ways, uniquely positioned to say, dude, I know what it's like I can see that. when you've got a couple of kids and then yeah. one of them lets you down when they, they do this or they say that. And how do you deal with that? 
Um, it's not something that the priest who hasn't had children isn't always going to understand some of that stuff. So I, so I don't want to, but I don't want to take away, th- away anything from the priest because we, we do not want to have a priest that is filled with nothing but deacons. Right. That, that's, a, that's a bad thing. We're the lowest rung on the hierarchy. And I'm not trying to put the deacons down, but we have a place. We, oh, yeah. we, we serve in a certain place in the church, right? Mm-hmm. And, but it's like if you look at all that's going on, how God revealed himself as a family of persons and that salvation would be born to us in the context of family and family is vitally important to our very existence and the very success of, of salvation of our church, of our faith, of our individual souls. Mm-hmm. Right. And that family is under attack. Right. And then the witness of the church saying, I will raise up the antidote. Mm-hmm. Is it possible? I just posit this question. Is it possible that the church now is seeing us, uh, um, come to life 20,000 deacons in the United States that are uniquely positioned to, to preach, to teach, to serve the family. It is possible. I, I think it is. And again, I haven't heard this from the Pope. I'm not saying he doesn't know what he's doing. I just haven't heard this written about or whatever. I This is what I've started to surmise. I don't know if it's the Holy Spirit, but it's like I just it just makes sense to me. That there's a reason why there are so many deacons. Mm-hmm. There were not these old curmudgeons that are just kind of in the way all the time, and we shouldn't be. It would also stand to reason that maybe some guys out there ought to start considering it. Oh, Tom, brilliant words. And yeah. and I'm looking at you going, Tom, you'd make a great deacon. <laughs> you don't know, Tom, right now. This might be the moment you're going to tell, tell your vocational no story. Uh, like 20 years from now, and say, I, I was sitting there in the luxurious corner booth, and that Deacon Jeff, what a holy soul. God rest I, his soul. I'll tell you what, I'll pray about it, and I'll talk to Cindy about it. How about that? I'll tell you what, that's that's fair enough. But all you all you other guys who happen to be listening, or wives of men, you, you know they're holy, you know what they're, they're, they're involved in their church, and they you know they know a lot about families and, and saving families. You know? Help them understand that maybe this is an opportunity that they just need to explore. I'm not trying to recruit deacons because God calls men to the diaconate. Right. It's a vocational call. Right. I'm not doing that, but but I wouldn't be doing my service to the church if I wasn't saying that we do need good and holy men yeah. who are willing to give themselves to the church, but to keep one foot in that family life and one foot in that clerical life to see, to be that bridge and to help other people, help families to, to be raised out of poverty, raised out of destruction and out of death and all that stuff that's going on to attack the family. Yeah. We don't want Satan to win. Mm-mm. No, we don't. So we, we ask for anyone out there who's considering the diaconate just to pray about it, as Tom is going to do as our, as our witness. And we ask our, uh, our Holy Mother, uh, Mary, to pray on our behalf. And so we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. Visit us on the web at thecatholiccafe.com, where you can find out more information about The Catholic Cafe, listen online, download mp3s or subscribe to our podcast you can also find us on itunes or follow us on facebook and twitter if you'd like to contact deacon jeff send him an email at deacon jeff at the catholic cafe.com the catholic cafe is brought to you by the order of malta federal association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from the Most Reverend Martin D. Holly, 
Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe, serving up salvation one cup of coffee at a time.